good morning, everybody. How are we all doing? All right? Good. Excellent. Um, if we've not met before, my name is Richard. Is there really no one? Did no one put their hand up when it was first time? Is there really no one here for the first time? Can you give like a little wave if you're here for the first time? Just like a sneaky little... Over here, welcome. Thank you. You're really, really welcome. It's great to have you with us. Um, well, we're going to look at um, the Word of God together. So if you've got a Bible with you, we're going to look at a passage in Acts chapter 2 um, this morning. Acts chapter 2. Now, we're going to pick up the story, very um, familiar passage for some of you. We're going to pick up the story in verse um, 36, but to give you a little bit of context, um, this comes at the end of a message that Peter, the apostle, preached um, after Pentecost, the time when the Holy Spirit was um, first poured out on the followers of Jesus. So, um, Peter basically gives this amazing story of how God has been working throughout history, um, throughout the history of the Bible, promising that he would pour out his spirit on his people. Because God's plan for all of us is that we would have an amazing relationship with him. God's plan for all of us is that we wouldn't be just kind of like constantly messing up and uh, uh, in trouble and... Um, but actually that we would be close to him, that we would be his sons and his daughters, and that we would be full of him, that his spirit would be, that God himself would be with us and in us and enable us to live the kind of life that he purposed for us. And so Peter explains that, that this Jesus, who the people had just crucified, was actually the one that God had always promised that he would send to rescue them from living life their own way and to fill them with the Holy Spirit of God. So instead of being a criminal that should be executed on a cross, Peter was saying, actually, this Jesus who was crucified, he was actually the Lord and the Savior. He's the one who God has always promised. He's the one who God has promised us to rescue us from living life our own way, to fill us with himself, so that we too, just like those listeners all those years ago, can live a life filled with God. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that this morning, but if you are visiting us, if you've been around for a while, but you've never made that decision to follow Jesus, then I want you to know this morning, we want you to know this morning, that he loves you. He wants to live life in relationship with you. He wants you to know what it is rather than always feeling guilty or ashamed or in trouble. He wants you to know the joy as we were talking about, as God was talking to us about this morning, living life in the river. Well, what does that mean? By the way, if you are new to all this kind of prophetic imagery kind of stuff, don't go away and find the nearest river, the River Medway or, or the Irwell, and jump in and say, wow, I'm living life in the river. That's not what God is speaking to us about. He's talking about us being able to know his life in our lives, to be able to live a life united with him. And that's exactly what we're looking at this morning. Anyway, Acts chapter 2, Peter's preached this amazing message, and the climax of that message is in verse 36, where he says, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. 
God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. In verse 37 it says, when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? This amazing message that Peter preached, this amazing story of God fulfilling his promise to pour out his spirit on his people, didn't leave them just going, oh, that's kind of interesting. Didn't just leave them kind of nodding in vague approval, but it had a dramatic effect upon their hearts. And you know what? When we hear God speaking to us, it's supposed to have a dramatic effect upon our hearts. When we hear God saying to us, as he did this morning, there's a river whose streams make glad the people of God. When we hear God saying to us, as he said to us this morning, I've not left you, I've not, I've not abandoned you, I'm here for you. Then our hearts are supposed to respond. We're supposed to respond in our hearts. That's why we sing and we dance and we raise our hands. Or just expressions saying, God, you have my heart. God, I'm for you. God, I'm not indifferent to what you're saying, but I'm responding to your word into my life. They were cut to the heart and they said, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Amazing that we had the last four weeks running baptisms in our meetings here in Central. I don't know if anyone's going to get cut to the heart today and decide to get baptized and make it five weeks in a row. Feel free. Come and see us afterwards. We've got changes of clothes. We'd happily baptize you. But people responding through baptism, going down into the water, marking the burial of their old life, and coming up out of the water to mark a new life in Jesus Christ. Amazing. They were baptized, be baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And with many other words, he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. And those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. And everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. And all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. And every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God. And enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. It's an amazing story, isn't it? This, this incredible message that, that Peter preaches. And people respond in their hearts. I don't know about you. I've got a little gap in my Bible in between verse 41 and verse 42. And it's got a new little heading. And, and sometimes, because you know they're not in the Bible, those little gaps and those little headings. They're not actually scripture. Um, but our um, Bible producers kind of put them in to help us to, to break up our reading. They assume that we can't um, read very much. Um, feel free, by the way, to prove them wrong and read lots of your Bible every day. Um, 
But when we get to those gaps, the danger is sometimes we, we miss the connection, don't we? Sometimes between the different sections of the Bible that we're reading. But verse 41 actually in the original Bible flows straight into verse 42. These believers, they've been cut to the heart. They're responding to the gospel. They've been baptized in water. They've been filled with the spirit. And what do they do? They devote themselves. They devote themselves. It's an interesting word, isn't it? That word, devoted. They devoted themselves. Think about it for a minute. What does it actually look like? What does it actually mean to devote ourselves to something? Sometimes we think of um, boyfriends and girlfriends that are totally in love and they're they're devoted to one another um, because they've got no room in their life for anyone else, especially when they're just kind of taken up in the kind of the newness of this amazing relationship and they've never felt that way before and just when that person is around, their heart's all of a flutter and because they're devoted, there's no room for anything else. When you think about that word, what does it mean to be devoted to anything in your life? It means you won't let other things get in the way. When you're really devoted, not kind of half-hearted or, or vaguely interested. or It's such a powerful word, isn't it? To be devoted to something. If you're really devoted. I mean, we can't say we're devoted to ministering to the homeless if actually what we mean is if we come across a homeless person we may or may not say hi to them. That, that's not devoted, is it? If you're devoted, then you've, you've got a plan. You've, you've, you've got a commitment. I, I'm, I'm saying all this because I'm looking over here and I can see Obi and Yvonne smiling at me. So They're devoted. They're devoted. They keep going. They're committed time after time. They have a great VIP. They're encouraged. Wow, amazing. Let's keep going. They have a rubbish one. We're still devoted. We're still going to keep going. It all goes wrong one time. Nobody turns up. Nobody volunteers. Nobody brings any clothes. We're devoted. We're still going to keep going. There's something powerful, isn't there, about that word devoted. And so what were these early believers devoted to? They'd heard the gospel. They'd responded. They'd given their lives to Jesus. They got baptized. They died to living life their own way. They've begun a new life in Jesus. They've been filled with the Holy Spirit of God. And so what do they devote themselves to? They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Well, we can understand that. And to tea and coffee after the meeting. Because that's... Often how we read this word fellowship, isn't it? We hear fellowship and we think, oh, we we don't mind the worship part and and we can just about make it through the preaching as long as it's not too long. I'm not staying for the tea and coffee. I'm not staying for the fellowship. And that's so often what we associate that word fellowship with. It's like either tea and coffee or having to go to a connect group or having to go on a walk on a bank holiday, or um, I don't know, a a church event, not another barn dance, Um, because it's like fellowship. We know it's something to do with being sociable and and hanging out, and, and some of us find that easier than others. 
I will admit, I, see, you might not believe this about me because I find it easy to stand up here and talk to all of you, but ask me to hang out in a social situation. I find that really difficult. I find it really, and so people might, if, I've, if I ever seem awkward with you, please forgive me. I find it really, really hard. So if I come over to you and say hi, I'm really trying. That's me really, really trying because I know it's important. But some of us are shy. You might not think it because you see me up here, but that's easy because I don't have to have a conversation, do I? <laughs> so we're all different, aren't we? But I promise I'll keep trying. So, so we have, you know, this idea of fellowship. It's just like this hanging out and being sociable with one another. If we look at the actual Greek word, kinania, um, I just checked with Danny beforehand to get my pronunciation right. Is that okay? Good stuff. Um, if we look at what that word actually means for fellowship, it's really interesting. It means sharing. Yes. Sharing. Yes. To have fellowship is to share. Now, I, I thought this is, this, this is not great news, really, because, like, I don't know, have you ever been in that situation? Um, you're ordering, and some of you might relate to this. You're ordering off a menu. I order, and I'm thinking what I would like. And suddenly, Judith wants to have fellowship. She wants to share. I'm like, no, I want to order what I want. And I want a whole portion of what I want. If I wanted half a portion of chips, I would ask for half a portion of chips. I'd say, please, can I have a half portion? But I don't want a half portion, I want a whole portion. But she wants to have fellowship over the chips. You see? Now, when it comes to the Maltesers, she doesn't want any fellowship anymore. You don't want fellowship over the Maltesers. No, that, that's a different story. But, but fellowship literally means to share. But I think it has to mean more than sharing your chips and sharing your Maltesers. If we look in Acts chapter 4 and verse 32, it says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there was no needy person among them. For from time to time, those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to anyone who had need. Now, I find that interesting because sometimes these verses are used to say, well, we should all live out of a communal purse that we shouldn't own anything and that we should just all like put it in the pot. And, uh, and, you know, no disrespect to people who choose to live that way. But I don't think that's exactly what's going on here because it says from time to time, people sold things that they owned. So that means that people still owned things if from time to time they could sell them when there was a need. But the point is this. It says they were one in heart and mind. That's why they shared everything. That's why... If there was something to do with their purpose together that meant there was a financial need, it made no sense in their mind, well, I'm just keeping this back for myself because we have one heart and mind. We're after something together. We're pursuing something together. So if I've got a means of meeting the need that we are experiencing together, then I'm going to meet that need. That made you jump, didn't it? I saw it. You actually left your seat. Their lives became interwoven with one another. Their lives were caught up 
together. So such was their devotion and their commitment to what Jesus had called them into that now there was a sense of sharing everything, sharing their life together. They were living a shared life, but why? What was it that caused them to want to live in that way? Sometimes we think of fellowship and unity as something that we're kind of called to create. We're called to create a sense of community. We're called to create a sense of family. Um, But I want to suggest to us this morning that actually we need to look at that slightly differently. That actually we need to understand that Jesus has already created a community. That he has already created a family. That he has already created unity. And actually what we're called to do is to maintain that and to live it out. There's a subtle difference, isn't there? But it's not like we're trying to build something out of nothing, as if there wasn't community, as if there wasn't family, and we've got to try and build that, because if we manage to build that, then everyone will believe that we're really Christians, uh, and it'll be great for the gospel. But actually, instead of that, what if actually Jesus has done it all already, and it is true? And what if we started from that place of knowing this is the truth, that we are community, that we are a family, that we are in fellowship, and that what we're called to do is to maintain that. So look with me at John chapter 17. John 17 and verse 20. My prayer, this is Jesus praying. um, He's prayed for his disciples, and then he's going to pray for all of us. He says, my prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I've given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them and you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity And then the world will know that you've sent me and have loved them even as you've loved me. So he prays that we'd be one. And so often we skip when we hear and we read this and and our mind goes to, oh, it's John 17, Jesus praying for the unity of the church. But in praying for the unity of the church, what does Jesus pray for first and foremost? That they may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you may they also be in us. So in praying for the unity of the church, Jesus prays first and foremost for our union with him. He prays that just as the Father is in the Son and the Son is in the Father, may we also be in him. May our life actually be in his life. And may his life, he goes on to pray, actually be in our life. Um, I got to hear um, Mark Lawrence, some of you um, remember Mark, know Mark, um, preaching recently, and he posed a really interesting um, question as part of a, it was a different kind of message to this one, but it really made me stop and think. He asked the question, when I become a Christian, do I invite Jesus into my life, or does Jesus invite me into his life? I'm sure both are true, 
But we tend to always think of it the first way around, don't we? Jesus is standing at the door and he's knocking and he has to knock a little louder for some of us and he keeps knocking and some of us wait a long time but then eventually we open the door and Jesus comes in and we invite him into our heart. But what if actually you becoming Christian is as much about Jesus inviting you into his heart? Isn't that amazing? As well as you giving Jesus permission, as it were, and saying, I'm opening up the doors, and I'm letting you come into Just as miraculous, just as powerful, just as awesome, and just as much making us go, wow, you're amazing, you love me so much. It's the fact that Jesus opens up his life and says, come and participate and share in my life. This is what fellowship means, to share In the life of Jesus. How committed am I to living my life in his life? How committed are you to living your life in his life? In Colossians chapter 3, verses 1 to 4, it says this. Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above, where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. Isn't that amazing? When you became a Christian, your life got hidden with Christ in God. God put your life inside of his life. Amazing. We think so often just in terms of him coming to be in us that if we're not careful, our life is still all about us, just with him added on now. But actually, it wasn't just that he came to be in us, but actually, we got transported, as it were, into him. And our life is now hidden in the life of God. Now, this is the thing. If my life is in Christ and your life is in Christ, then suddenly we're sharing the same life. Does that make sense? We're sharing the same life. So in 1 John 1, 1 John 1, 1 to 4, it says this, That which was from the beginning, which we've heard, which we've seen with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. The fellowship that you and I have is not tea and coffee after a meeting. The fellowship that you and I have is not hanging out, uh, going and doing something social together, or me trying extra hard to be more friendly at the end of the meeting. Um, I will keep trying. But the fellowship that we have is that you and I share in the same life of Jesus Christ. We share the same life. The reason I'm alive We've come to believe, haven't we, 
the reason we're actually alive, spiritually alive, is because of Jesus. The only reason I'm alive is because of the life of Christ in me. And the only reason you're alive is because of the life of Christ in you. We share the same life. And that is so powerful that we actually have, not we try to create, not we try to express, we actually have unity together because we share in the same life. If you put the picture of um, my family up, here we are. Um, This is me, Judith, Nathan, our youngest, Josie, and Luke, who's sat on the front row over there. Nathan and Josie, by the way, they do exist. You don't get to see them here on a Sunday morning. Judith and I have spent time in different ones of our congregations at different times. And Longsight, their friends are there. Um, Their nana and granddad are there. And so they said, can we keep going to Longsight? And we didn't want to rip them away from their friends. So we've let them um, carry on being there. But they do exist, I promise you. They're real. Um, Here we are. Luke, Nathan, and Josie, they all share. By the way, do you like what we did there? That's supposed to look like the bridge behind us. Artistic, isn't it? Um, Luke, Nathan, and Josie, they all share in the same life. Their life all came from the same source. Me and Judith. God, but me and Judith. Yeah. (laughs) Just before you give me theological complaints at the end. They can't change the fact that they're brothers and sisters. They can't change it. They can't stop it. Now, we all the time emphasize to them the need for them to maintain their common life together, their need to maintain their good relationships, their need to maintain getting on and supporting one another and loving one another. But there's something fundamentally true that they can't change. They all share in the same life. You and I... We share in the same life in Jesus Christ. That's what makes us a family. That's what makes us a community. And this is what we have to devote ourselves to. Not just to having more social events, although that will be great, honestly. Um, Not just to hanging out more together. That would be fantastic and is important and helps us to express what I'm talking about this morning. Having meals together, spending time together, praying together, talking about what we've been reading in the scriptures together, asking about how each other's week has gone, praying into needs that we have. All of that helps us to do what I'm talking about this morning. But it comes out of a devotion and a commitment to say, we are going to live the life of God together. So scripture says, what fellowship can light have with darkness? Plenty of non-Christians are great at being friends. Plenty of non-Christians can be great friends to have. Some of you have experienced it. Some of you have experienced the sad reality when your non-Christian friend did more for you in your time of need than you felt people in the church or people, you know, Christians around you did. It's not to say that people that aren't following Jesus can't be great friends. But there is something different about the kind of fellowship that Scripture is talking about. And this is what we have to devote ourselves to. Not just to being great friends, but being great friends who share the life of God together. Who are committed, who are devoted to saying we are going to have the life of God fully expressed and flowing through us in Jesus Christ. We are determined as a community that we will share the life of God in Christ together. We will not see coming to church as something that's just about me and my convenience. But I'm going to be there. I'm going to be there on time. I'm going to be there 
before the start of the meeting so that we're all there together and we can share in the life of God together. I'm going to be in connect group, not because someone told me that that's what I have to do, but I'm going to be in connect group because I want to share in the life of God with brothers and sisters around me. I'm going to phone people up. I'm going to be praying for people. I'm going to get in touch with people because I'm determined that we should follow Jesus together, that we should share in the life of God together. When we are devoted to fellowship, we are passionately committed to sharing in the life of God in Christ together. We're determined. We will think about practicalities. When we're devoted, when we're passionately committed, we will start to think, how does this actually start to take place in my life? How do we actually make sure that we share in this life of God in Christ together? It's interesting um, in Ephesians chapter 5 when Paul talks about being filled with the Spirit. Because of course, this is how we share in the life of Christ, isn't it? Christ is in us by his Spirit. But in Ephesians 5.18 when Paul says, don't get drunk on wine, but instead go on being filled with the Spirit. It's interesting when he gives instructions of how we can go on being filled with the Spirit. He says, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Always giving thanks, making music and melody in your heart, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Half the instructions he gives about how to go on being filled with the Spirit are about us doing that together. About us being committed to sharing in this life of God in Christ together. Philippians 2, 1 to 4 says this. Philippians 2, 1 to 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the spirit, it's fellowship, same word, kinonia, kinonia, is that right? Oh, still nothing. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. If you've got any common sharing, any fellowship, if you are sharing the life of God in Christ together, then you have to think of one another. We cannot do this in isolation, my friends. We cannot follow Jesus on our own. If we want to respond to this amazing gospel, and we don't want to be these cold-hearted kind of robots who just stand there indifferent, but if we want to be cut to the heart as we hear the amazing truth of what Jesus has done for us, then we have to be committed to sharing in the life of God in Christ together. I want to challenge us to think in this week and in the coming weeks, how can I do that more? I want to challenge you to go away and to think, how can I do that more? Maybe it is being part of a connect group. Maybe it is um, a commitment to get to know some people better, to build some relationships. Maybe, like me, you find that hard. But maybe there's a determination that says, I'm not going to hide behind that anymore, but I'm going to be committed. I'm going I'm to be vulnerable. I'm going to risk um, feeling awkward. I'm going I'm to be courageous. I'm going to talk to some people. I'm going to get to know some people. Maybe it's a commitment that you're going to 
show a bit more interest in how people are doing. You're going to call some people during the week. You're going to be praying for more people. But how are you? How is the Holy Spirit calling you to be more committed, more devoted to sharing in the life of God together with one another? I'm going to give us a way to respond right now. It's in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 16 and 17. It says this, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation? It's the same word, fellowship. Um, another word we sometimes translate that word as is communion, which is why we call this communion. Is not the cup of thanksgiving for which we give thanks a participation, a fellowship, a communion in the blood of Christ? And is not the bread that we break a participation, a fellowship? A communion in the body of Christ. Because there is one loaf, we who are many are one body, for we all share, we all fellowship the same Jesus Christ, the same body, the same loaf. We will share it together. So powerful when we do this, because we're saying we have a common life in Jesus Christ. As you receive bread and wine this morning, Receive the life of Jesus Christ afresh by faith. We don't believe it changes molecularly, but we do believe that it's far more powerful than just mere symbolism. Yeah. By faith, receive the life of Jesus Christ. But as you come and receive, and I'm going to invite every one of us to come. It might be a bit messy, but to come and actually receive at the table. I know sometimes we take bread and cups back, but I'd like to invite every one of us who wants to come this morning to come to the table as an act of faith to say, I want to receive of the life of Christ. But as you come, let it also be an act of commitment that says, an act of devotion, an act of response that says, I am going to ask God, I'm going to pursue God, I'm going to pray, and I'm going to be serious, I'm going to be devoted to actually, we share in this life in God together. Is that okay? Are we, are we playing or putting music? Can we put some music on? Um, once you've broken bread, if you have children, um, feel free to go and collect um, your children. That would bless the kids' ministry workers. Take your time. Um, the meeting's going to be closed. Um, the prayer team will come. They'll be at the prayer banner. Don't forget, there are magazines uh, and leaflets to take away to invite people to our Easter meeting next Sunday. Don't forget, there's VIP this Tuesday. Sign up at the help desk. But right now, come and receive the life of God in Jesus Christ. Let it be an act of faith, but let it also be an act of commitment that says, I'm going to give myself to sharing in the life of Christ together with my brothers and sisters around me. Amen.